Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's Message of the Week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. Really good to be here uh, among you. Uh, as was introduced, I um, um, have the privilege of leading the team at Leeds Gateway. And um, my role has actually transitioned a little bit. So half of my time now is serving Christ Central Churches across the UK. So this is the family of churches that you're a part of. Um, it's around 300 churches around the world. And there are 45 UK Christ Central Churches, uh, predominantly in the north of England. And um, church families much like you. And um, it's a real privilege to get to know a lot of them better. And it's a real joy to have Adam join me as part of that team, uh, serving churches more broadly and more widely, uh, as well as Raj Saha from Teesside. And we're hoping and praying that Jenny uh, is going to join us from York as well. And, um, and just to say that they're going well, the churches across the UK. Um, thank you for your prayers and your partnership in the gospel. Uh, Steve, you may know, Williams is a director uh, of the Charitable Trust of Christ Central Churches. He does a wonderful job uh, behind the scenes serving us, and I know as well a real blessing to your senior leadership team here as well. And um, yeah, kind of three kind of emphasis that we've had for our, uh, the churches that we've been starting off with is, is to care for our church leaders. I think this has been a pretty brutal couple of years. I know many people in different areas of employment and life have had significant challenges in and out of COVID, and that is very much true for church leaders. So we've been looking at how can we care for them best, and one of the things we've done is, is writing to all trustees advising on a sabbatical policy, and so it's been a real joy to see church leaders come up to me and say, thank you. It's been, it's been 10, 20 years since I've had a prolonged rest and, and really now looking forward to a season of study and rest and recuperation out of serving so hard in this season. And then we've also been encouraging church planting, and it's great to see plants going on around the UK and into Germany. Two church plants are going into Germany from the UK at the moment, um, which is really exciting. And the other thing we want to do is, is affect culture. Um, we don't just want to kind of gather people for gather people's sake. We want to see uh, the mountains of, of business, of healthcare, of education, of family. We want to see all of life um, transformed by the salt and light of kingdom people like you. And so we're excited that uh, on the team we're, we're drawing not just church leaders, but business people, um, lay people, um, people who, who help us see, no, let's not get stuck in just gathering believers. Let's get stuck in releasing them into every sphere of culture and seeing change. And I know that's really on your heart here in Harrogate. And um, the, the highest calling is not Christian leadership in the church. The highest calling is the calling that the Lord has given you. And we want to equip all of you in all your callings. Um, so hopefully that's a, a helpful kind of little update in terms of Christ Central, where we're going. Um, Jeremy Simpkins with Anne, who I know have been to this church many times. Um, love you guys and pray for you. Um, and I think just this transition has been helpful to give a focus on the UK. The reality is Jeremy and Anne are often out of the UK for six months a year. Um, which means trying to have a mind in the UK when you're in lots of different nations is tricky. And the Holy Spirit has been speaking about, let's have a focus on the UK at this time. And Jeremy's still very much leading the team and being a real blessing. I'd love to open up for you uh, Numbers uh, chapter 21, uh, verse 4 to 8. Numbers uh, chapter 21, verse 4 to 8. Let me just set some of the context for you. 
God has created the world and he has created Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve reject God and um, God comes and he curses the snake uh, representing Satan. And he says to the snake, um, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Right from the first book of the Bible, God promises that a rescuer will come and bash this snake on its head. But the snake will strike the heel of this rescuer. We then see God's faithfulness move and uh, on different people at different times. We see uh, him pick out Abraham and put his favor upon him. We then see God's faithfulness through uh, Isaac, uh, Abraham's son, uh, Abraham's son, Jacob and Joseph. We see the story um, follow this kind of family line. We then read about Joseph um, going into Egypt and the people of God growing there. And then there being this 300-year gap before God raises up a guy called Moses. And Moses, uh, you can split his life into three kind of 40-year sections. He has 40 years growing up as like a prince of Egypt. He has 40 years in the wilderness. And then he has 40 years of leading God's people out of slavery and captivity in Egypt towards the promised land that God said he would give them. And so this is where we get to in Numbers chapter 21. Moses has been leading the people of God for around 39 years. They're just on the cusp of entering the land that God has promised to give them. And we read this in Numbers 21, 4 to 8. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go round Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread. There is no water. And we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. They lived. A few years ago, um, uh, me and a few friends from the church, we did a 100-kilometer walk around Leeds. The, the width of the circumference is 100 kilometers. And so we set about to do this challenge. We managed to compete it in, in just under 24 hours. And uh, we were raising finance for uh, Home for Good and praying around the city. And um, um, eight hours in, we were pretty exhausted. I was uh, pretty hangry. Does anyone get hung hangry here? That's uh, where you get a bit angry because you're hungry. Um, I remember as a, a young Christian thinking, I'm under spiritual attack. And then after I'd eaten, felt great. I realized I, I was just, just hungry, just, just very hungry. Um, 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 anyway, we were very tired, eight hours in, hungry. And, um, and we saw a nice little shortcut where we could nip off quite a nice little uh, bit of, of land. And so we were walking when suddenly this farmer ran out and said, Oi, off my land. 
And we explained to him what we were doing. I said, please, can we just, we're literally like 100 meters away from the exit. Please, can we just finish that? Because otherwise we're going to have to turn around, go all the way back around, and it's going to add a lot of time. He went, no, off my land. And um, yes, praying for grace in that moment, <laughs> definitely. Um, but uh, I don't know if you picked up on the passage. Um, this is what the Israelites are facing, if you like. Uh, they traveled from Mount Hor along the route uh, to the Red Sea to go around Edom. In Numbers chapter 20, the, the chapter before, uh, Moses had requested permission from the king of Edom to go through his land and cut out a lot of extra journey. Yet the king of Edom says, no, if you come, we're going to set war on you. And so they travel the longer route. And so that is why the people are growing impatient on the way. They're like me in that field. Ah, They're like, Ugh, really? We have to go this way, Edom? Um, we're not allowed to go through Edom. This is ridiculous. And so they grew impatient on the way. And um, patience, it's, um, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Fruit of the Holy Spirit is patience. But the people of God grew impatient on the way. And, and we live in a culture, don't we, that wants things quick. Um, I don't know, you're like me sometimes. You go to a fast food restaurant and you see a queue and you think, what? It's ridiculous. Something where to go and something to do. And we want things now. You know, how quickly can you get that to me? Amazon, next day delivery, excellent. And it's a challenge for us, I think, to know patience, especially when it comes to the ways of God. We want God to do things now and immediately and quickly and fast. Yet often God works slowly and hiddenly. And we need patience for the way he wants to work in our lives and patience for the way he wants to work in our community. And so the people, they grew impatient on the way. So they spoke against God and against Moses. You can track in numbers um, the different complaints that the people of God bring um, to Moses. And there are six times leading up to this time, which is the seventh time they grumble against Moses. And seven in scripture is often kind of perfection, wholeness, uh, representing um, that kind of idea. And so it's almost as if their grumbling has reached boiling point. It's reached perfection. If anyone's good here at moaning and grumbling, you're not alone. The Israelites were really good at it. They were perfect. And on this seventh time, they grumble not only against Moses, but also against God. And they say to Moses, why have you brought us up? out of Egypt to die in the wilderness. There is no bread. There is no water. And we detest this miserable food. Do you get the humor there? It's quite funny. There's no bread. There's no water. And we detest this miserable food. It doesn't quite make sense what you're saying. Um, they're exasperated. And so they're fatalistic. And they shout out against Moses. And they shout out against God. They grumble and they complain. And they forget to remember. They forget to remember. They forgot that 39 years prior to this moment, they were under oppressive slavery in Egypt. Remember the stories? Remember the prince and the king there? Um, the king, sorry, 
worried that the people of God were growing, so started killing the infants. Remember, the oppression was so great for the people of God that they would cry out and groan and, and, and say, God, would you come and rescue us? And then you remember, he raises up Moses and he brings these plagues and he brings the, the, the freedom through the Passover lamb. Remember, they put blood on their doorposts and the angel of death came and destroyed, but they were eventually freed. And then they reached the, the river and they, they, they worry about, about the the Egyptian army coming towards them and they panic and they say, Moses, you know, weren't there enough graves in Egypt? But what does God do? He opens up a way through the waters for them. And then for 39 years, they are sustained through God's supernatural provision. They're given this manna, this sweet tasting, beautiful food every single day. They're given water. They're supplied with birds. They've seen the presence of God. They've been given the law of Moses. Yet in this moment, they forget to remember all that history. They forget to remember the faithfulness of God. And so they complain and grumble and they speak out against Moses and against God. How much like us are the people of God? Can you see yourself? In the story, we weren't under an oppressive regime that enslaved us. Maybe there are a couple here who have experienced that in their lifetime. But no, the Bible talks about a different oppression, a different slavery. We were under slavery to sin. Our master wasn't a king. It was Satan. We served him. That's what Jesus says. Maybe some of you, it's helpful to remind, wow, yeah, I was... I was encased in my own desires. I thought it was freedom, but it was bondage. I I was bonded to sin. Yet there came a moment when Jesus came and broke in. And it wasn't a Passover lamb that we put over our door, the blood of a lamb. No, it was the blood of Jesus that freed us from sin. Remember that moment? Remember that first love when Oh, you just speak to him and you realize he just loves you because he loves you because he loves you. Not for anything you've done. In fact, all you brought to the party was your sin and your wretchedness. And he gives you grace upon grace upon grace. And then um, we didn't go through a Red Sea, most likely, but we went through baptism, didn't we? That moment where, yes, we declared publicly we're free from sin. We were washed and Paul helps us see that the passing through the Red Sea was like a picture for New Testament believers that, that of baptism. It's like a washing. It's like a, a cutting off from the enemy. No, no, there is freedom now. And it's an important moment. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't been baptized, be baptized, be obedient. My mom had been a follower of Jesus for about 40 years and she didn't get baptized. And then God spoke to her, will you be obedient? And she was there. She'd been a Christian for 40 years with tears in her eyes because she really didn't want to do it. But she said, I'm going to be obedient because Jesus has told me to be baptized. I want to encourage you, if you haven't been baptized, be baptized. And then not only have we passed through baptism, if you like, we've also known God's faithfulness. What did Jesus say? He taught us how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us today our daily bread. We haven't been sustained through manna, if you like, from heaven, but we've been sustained by the bread of Jesus, his word. And if you're anything like me, you've made mistake after mistake after mistake. My life is full of them. Yet Jesus has been so good to me. 
He's led me and steered me and guided me and given me the bread I need, not just physically, but spiritually. He's brought people into my life, and I know he's done the same for you. He's sustained you. And so we often are like the people of God. We forget to remember. We forget that we've been rescued from sin. We forget that we've come through baptism. We forget that he's provided for us throughout our whole life. We forget to remember, and so we grumble and complain against God, against Moses, against leadership, when actually we should stop and remember what a faithful God we have. What a faithful God we have. And it's good to lament. It it takes real faith to lament, actually. It's good to bring our grievances to God, but there's a posture that is good and a posture that is bad. The Israelites' posture was bad. It was grumbling and complaining. There was a lack of faith. Yes, we bring our problems to him. We lament and express them, but we express them mixed with faith and trust that he is good based upon the evidence as revealed upon Scripture. So we forget to remember. And then in verse 6, we read this, Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. Spurgeon, um, I think one of my favorite preachers, um, he was preaching on this passage and he told this story, which I just thought was quite crazy. And so I wanted to share it with you. He speaks of a guy called Gerling. And uh, he was one of the keepers of the reptiles in the zoological gardens in in London in October 1852. And uh, Gerling and his friends had been drinking considerable quantities of gin. And um, this guy had some months before seen an exhibition of snake charming. And so first he took out of its cage a Moroccan venom snake, whirled it around him. His friend told him to stop, but the man continued and said, now for the cobra. Um, This deadly serpent Um, It's a true story. Um, Was somewhat stiff with the cold of the previous night. And therefore, this rash man placed it in his chest till it revived. And the snake glided downward till its head appeared below the back of his waistcoat. He took it by the body, about a foot from the head, and then seized it lower down by the other hand, intending to hold it by the tail and swing it round his head. He held it for an instant opposite to his face, and like a flash of lightning, the serpent struck him between the eyes. The blood streamed down his face, and he called for help. But his companion fled in horror. As he told the jury, he did not know how long he was gone, for he was in a maze. When assistance arrived, Gerling was sitting on a chair. Having restored the cobra to its place, he said, I am a dead man. They put him in a cab and took him to the hospital. First, his speech went. He could only point to his poor throat and moan. Then his vision failed him, and lastly, his hearing. His pulse gradually sank, and in one hour from the time at which he had been struck, he was a corpse. There was only a little mark upon the bridge of his nose, but the poison spread over the body and he was a dead man. And Spurgeon uses this as a parable for sin, 
are rebellion against God, its consequences and the hope of the gospel. He says this, this is not for you only who are as yet playing with the serpent. This is not for you only who have warmed it in your bosom and felt it creeping over your flesh, but for you who are actually bitten and are mortally wounded. Spurgeon points us to the story of the snake, just as there are snakes in this story, to remind us that sin is deadly and dangerous. God warns against it because he loves us. But that if we have made friends with sin, some of us here in our lives, we know we've made friends with, with sin. That if we've done that, if we've accepted it into our bosom, if you like, or even if it has most deadly strike, stricken us, there is a rescuer. There is one who can set us free. His name is Jesus. And we read what happens in the passage. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Moses, representing Jesus, intercedes for the people. He comes uh, to the Father and, and prays for the people. And, and the Father tells Moses, I want you to get a snake and I want you to put it up on a pole. And anyone who looks at it can live. Now, at that time in Scripture, bronze represented the idea of judgment and the snake represented sin. And so Moses, when he was putting this um, snake up for the people to look at, they were seeing judgment upon sin, if you like. They were looking to a judgment to free them from the judgment that they were experiencing. And we can think, well, what does this have to do with me and you? We're not in a desert. We haven't been bitten by physical snakes. Well, John 3, verse 14 to 17 Puts it really well. We may be familiar with John 3:16, but John 3:14 and 15 is so helpful having looked at this passage. It says this: just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Nicodemus, this teacher coming to Jesus in darkness, maybe some of you watching online, you're kind of, you're just looking in, just seeing what this Jesus thing is about. Not quite sure, a bit like Nicodemus. Jesus says to Nicodemus, who would have been very familiar with the Old Testament passages, look, just as Moses lifted up that snake in the desert, so the Son of Man, so me, so Jesus is saying, I will be lifted up. He was upon a cross and he became the judgment for your sin and for my sin. He took on sin who knew no sin. Isn't it amazing? What an incredible story that Jesus would point towards and say he was the fulfillment of. Say that was just a shadow. 
And we can think about Jesus, the, the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years, mumbling, perfect, complaining. Jesus, representing their 40 years, did 40 days in the desert. He really should have grumbled and complained. Yet he stood against the attack of the evil one. He didn't give in as the people of God did. And then remember that first promise in Genesis 3, that um, the snake's head would be crushed, but you will strike his heel. The snake. Isn't it interesting? The one who shouldn't have been bit by a snake, Jesus, upon a cross. What happened? The nail was, was prayed out earlier. The nail went through the Achilles tendon in his heel. Just as was prophesied in Genesis, you will strike his heel. Jesus' heel was struck with a nail. And so the one who shouldn't have been bitten by a snake, who perfectly passed the test, was. And so now Jesus says, actually, there's been someone who's dying in your place for your sins. It's not a bronze snake in the desert. It's me. That was just pointing towards me. And so to apply this and land this, for the people of God, let's not forget to remember what God has done for us. He's rescued us through taking that serpent bite that we should have taken. He's freed us from slavery to sin. He's brought us through the rhythms of baptism. He sustained us supernaturally. And so we can look forward with confidence, not grumbling, complaining. When things don't work out our way, let's not grow impatient. When we think, oh, why is he, why did, why is he allowed this? Why, why, how, why? We can just trust, ultimately trust. He's good. He's good. And for those of you who don't know Jesus, the Bible would say it's like you've been bitten by a snake. You've been bitten by sin like we all have. But we've just looked up to this cross, just as those people in the desert. All they had to do was look. We've just looked to Jesus. And, and we've seen by faith that he takes away our poison, if you like. And he gives us his life, this beautiful exchange. If you're not a follower of Jesus here today, if you're watching online, if you're not a follower of Jesus you can receive Jesus today. You can. It's really simple. You don't have to get yourself better. Hallelujah. Really, it's the complete opposite of that. You just have to recognize that you can't get it together. You need a rescuer. You need a savior. You need Jesus. And uh, I'd just love to lead you in a small prayer, if that's you in the room or, or you online. If you think, yeah, I'd like to give my life to Jesus. Just in this moment, I'm going to say a simple prayer. And if you'd like to... Echo that prayer. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. We're going to give you that opportunity today to be rescued, if you like, to be set free. And uh, if you want to pray this prayer, you can just pray it after me. Father, I'm sorry for the wrongdoing in my life and the way it's offended you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are my rescuer and you have saved me from sin. Holy Spirit of God, come and fill me now and teach me to follow your ways.